The future of Graceway, uh, all over. Uh, for the rest of us here, uh, how about if we bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, we thank you last night for reminding us that you speak words over us and that you declare us as your daughters, as your sons, whom you love and with whom you are well pleased. And we thank you that we receive these words through your son, Jesus, because of who we are in him. And that these words are reminded to us over and over again by your Holy Spirit. And because of who we are, Father, we know that we can face temptations and trials and tests. And this morning we learned, God, that we could even face uh, greed. And that uh, tonight as we talk about James chapter uh, 4, that we could even face and, and learn how to follow your son Jesus in the midst of conflicts and in the midst of fights. And so with that, we put our faith in you and in the ways that you are leading us to follow your son in places and in settings where it's really difficult. Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to do a work through me so that I'll be able to share your word and that your spirit would breathe uh, life through your word into our hearts. Help all of us to come to a place of being receptive, receiving your word, speaking into our, our hearts, our souls. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, if we could have the first slide up. The title of tonight's talk is Follow Jesus. Let's go to the heart of our conflicts. Now, there's also a rule that whenever a guest speaker goes to a congregation, you do not talk about fights and airing dirty laundry, but I'll break that rule like I did with finances. So I want to start with a story, a personal story. For me, Wednesdays, uh, all Wednesdays, were typically my days off when I was at home, out of the church office. And on my day off, I usually ran errands and I stayed at home taking care of uh, my three kids. I'm one of those guys who really enjoy low-key, peaceful, quiet days. One particular week many years ago, when my kids were about six, four, and two, I just had a really stressful week. There were unplanned meetings. Um, there were unplanned uh, fires to put out. There were relational conflicts uh, at the church. Um, just sudden things that popped up left and right. It was one of those weeks. And so I was slugging it out at the office, looking forward to some much-needed rest. I wanted a life of order and routine and control. The usual, the ordinary. I wasn't asking for much. And I thought that I would come home Tuesday afternoon and the kids would be like, um, you know, they'd say something like, oh, Father, <laughs> we're so delighted you're, you've come home. You did such a wonderful job this week. Come rest, dear Father. But on this particular Tuesday night when I came home, the kids were fighting, they were arguing. They were crying. It was exasperating from the very onset. 
It all came to a head on Wednesday, the next day, late morning. We were driving back home in our minivan, uh, coming back from Costco. And we were on Fairfax County Parkway. The kids were arguing back and forth, and they were making each other cry. And it was just me in the front seat and the three uh, in their car seats in the back. And they were just making each other cry. And I just yelled, be quiet. And they were shocked. And they were quiet for 15 minutes. <laughs> and as they were quiet, the Holy Spirit was convicting me. And the Holy Spirit, I, I just I sensed it so clearly. What was that? That was basically what the Holy Spirit said. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> and he said, why'd you do that? And I said, I just said, be quiet. Jesus said those words too, to the storm. <laughs> And, uh, but then, you know, as I was sensing what the spirit was getting at, basically it was, my words were impatient, mean-spirited. And it was so clear to me at that time, it wasn't really the kids. And it wasn't the stress of ministry that built up throughout that week. It was something much deeper. That conflict that I had and that I expressed towards my kids was actually coming from within me. By this time next week, every single one of you here in this room will have been involved in a conflict or fight, and it will be with your spouse, your siblings, your parents, your coworkers, uh, your kids, um, or even someone here at Graceway. And perhaps it's not even an open fight, but you just feel this anger simmering inside. And it's just that you're choosing not to bring it up. What's going on? What's at the heart of our fights and quarrels? So this evening, we're going to ask some pretty important questions when it comes to fights with one another. Just three questions. First, where does it all begin? Where's it all coming from? What's the origins of our fighting? Second, what are the dynamics going on inside of us that's leading up to these conflicts? And finally, how does God want us to respond when we are here in these conflicts. So we'll look at God's word this evening from James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Um, You can turn there, and what I'm going to do is go through the passage uh, bit by bit as we go through the point. So I'm not going to read it all in the beginning, but we'll go through each part of the passage uh, as I go through this message. So next slide. This is the first question we're going to deal with. What is at the heart of our fighting in verses 1 through 3? Next slide. Verse 1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? So James asks a question for us. Let's stop there. This is the million-dollar question. What is the cause of all of our fighting and quarreling? And all of us are sitting here thinking, that's easy. It's my over-demanding mom. It's my over-controlling dad. It's my immature, selfish brother or sister or spouse. It's my annoying coworker. They are the cause of all of my conflicts. The cause is them. The cause is out there. But James doesn't let us off the hook so easily. He dives straight into it. Chapter 4, verse 1. Next slide. What causes fights and quarrels among you? 
Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? Desires. The fighting and the conflicts are all coming from desires within us. What kind of desires are these? These are not just random, regular desires. These are what James describes as unmet desires. That's why if you look with me, next slide, verses 2 to 3. I'm going to read this for us, but as I read this, I want you to read it and this time try to catch the frustration of verses 2 to 3. The tone of frustration that James is bringing out. He says, look with me, verse 2. You desire, but you do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. But when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Just look at those verses. Do you sense the frustration that these are desires that are unmet? And when you have unmet desires that are unattended, they grow out of control. When we want something and feel that we will not be satisfied until we get it, that desire starts to control us. If other people do not help us meet that desire, then we condemn them and we fight hard to meet those desires. This is at the heart of our fighting and conflict inside of us, unmet desires, or this phrase, I want, I want. Now, this leads to the second question. What happens in us with all these unmet desires? This is the next slide. What happens in us with all these unmet desires? What do they develop into? What do they evolve into? How do things progress from there? A man by the name of Ken Sandy, a Christian attorney, has served with a ministry called Peacemakers for 30 years. It's a ministry that brought reconciliation to thousands of uh, relationships. And here's what Ken Sandy noticed. He noticed that it all starts with desires. And in the majority of the cases, these desires are not illegitimate. It's not like greed or lust or things like that. It starts with harmless desires like time for myself, peace and quiet, good grades, being affirmed, being promoted at work. These are all good things. But here's what Sandy writes. Next slide. He writes, when these seemingly legitimate desires are not met, we can find ourselves in a vicious cycle. The more we want something, the more we think we need and deserve it. And the more we think we are entitled to something, the more convinced that we the more convinced we are that we cannot be happy and secure without it. When we see something as being essential to our fulfillment and well-being, it moves from being a desire to a demand. I wish I could have this evolves into, I must have this. And this is where trouble sets in. Even if the initial desire was not inherently wrong, it has grown so strong that it begins to control our thoughts and behavior. In biblical terms, it has become an idol. That unmet desire becomes an idolatrous desire. I want becomes I demand. 
And it's no longer a mere desire, but it's something we need or deserve, and therefore we must have in order to be happy or fulfilled. This attitude of I demand leads us further into trouble, having us replace God with the desire for this demand. Look at how James further explains this, starting at verse 3. Next slide. So James, continuing on from verse 3. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And then look at how James continues this when he starts addressing their hearts. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. He starts changing this language. In the beginning, he was addressing quarreling and fighting. And by now, he's now calling the people adulterous. Because now, that, now they have desires that are stronger than their desire for God. This I want has become an idolatrous I demand. So now here's a question for us. How do I know if this good desire that I have is turning into a sinful, idolatrous demand? Well, next slide. Take a look at some questions we could ask ourselves. Here's some questions we could ask ourselves. For first question, what, what am I preoccupied with? What's the first thing on my mind in the morning and the last thing on my mind at night? Another question, how would I answer this question? If only blank, then I would be happy, fulfilled, and secure. Another question, what do I want to preserve or to avoid at all costs? Another question, when a certain desire is not met, do I feel frustration, anxiety, resentment, bitterness, anger, or depression? Another question, is there something I desire so much that I'm willing to disappoint or hurt others in order to have it? Those are all questions that help reveal the nature of of desires that we have, where what I want is becoming what I demand. I demand then spills over to this person or this party, and we begin to judge them. I want becomes I demand, which then becomes I judge. Next slide. I want turns into I demand, and then it turns into I judge. Not only do we let an idol into our hearts, but that demand turns into a mini God. And we start judging others on the basis of those demands. Are you meeting up to my demands? You better Are you in the way of my demands? If so, I'm going to cast judgment on you. And so we start judging. And that's why the next verse, verse 11, next slide. It says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you... Who are you to judge your neighbor? The Bible gives us room to judge. The Bible calls us to look at each other and to just discern in our mind, you know, how the other person's doing, who they are, so that we could serve them. 
But the Bible calls down sinful judging. When we look at other people and say we're superior, when we look at other people and we condemn them, when we look at other people and resent them, this is sinful judging because we begin to take over God's role as judge, especially in the context of conflicts. So for me, just an example. Suppose uh, my neighbor, my next door neighbor and I are just not getting along and he cuts down his tree and his tree falls onto my car and destroys my car and we end up in court and the court, uh, the judge says, Mr. Cha, uh, please present your case. And so I go up, I explain everything and the judge says, thank you, Mr. Cha, please be seated. And he calls, turns to my neighbor and he asks him to present his side and he starts to, and when he does, I stand up and I say, that's a lie. There's no truth in that. And the gavel slams down, bang, bang, bang. And the judge says, Mr. Cha, order in the court, please be seated. And I sit down, my neighbor starts again, giving his side of the story. I get up again, I said, that's a load of bull. You're lying. Mr. Cha, please sit down, final warning. My neighbor starts again, I rise up and I start yelling, you're a liar, you're a liar. The gavel hits and he says, Mr. Cha, sit down, you're charged with contempt for court. To which I stand up and I say, no judge, you sit down. You're charged with incompetence and a gross malpractice of law. Let me show you how it's done. Now at that point, the conflict is not between me and my neighbor. I have just challenged the judge and the court system, the law itself. And I'm in trouble now with the, with the judge. When we cast judgment on each other, we have stood and challenged God. None of us would ever tell God that he doesn't know how to judge and that he's unfit to judge. But by the way that we demand and judge over others, it's as if we're saying God isn't there and God doesn't know how to take matters of justice, that we have to take matters into our own hands and we hold contempt towards God and towards his court. Next slide. That's why verse 12 ends the way it does. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? We need the Holy Spirit to show us the way. In verse, uh, next slide. I want becomes I demand. I demand turns into I judge. And finally, I judge leads to I punish. This is the final step. When someone fails to satisfy our demands and expectations, our idols demand that they need to suffer and we lash out, we withdraw, we give the cold shoulder, we send cues and signals that we're not happy and that it's their fault. We punish, we gossip, we ruin their reputation, whatever it is. This is what unmet needs lead us to do. Next slide. So how can God help us respond while we're in conflict? What should our response be? In verses 5 through 10, we read this. Look with me at the next slide. Verse 5. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused 
to, uh, to dwell in us. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God. He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Next slide. In other words, this is a time for us to confess. Confess our idols. Confess these unmet desires that we've had that have taken the place of God and for us to be satisfied in God, to let God satisfy our souls, not these unmet desires, to respond with humility, to respond before God. Those I want, I want peace, I want security, I want a sense of hope, I want a future, Every one of those wants can be found and met in God. That's your response. That these unmet desires I've been holding on to and that I've been expecting other people to give to me, I realize that these unmet desires, I actually can turn to you, God, and you can meet these desires. Why did I look at these other people, other things? A few weeks after the incident in the minivan, when I blew up at our kids and I said, be quiet, I spent some time really letting go of this demand. I had a demand for peace. I had a demand for control. I had a demand for the day to go my way. And so I remember I said to God, God, I am not looking towards my kids or these other things in my life. Um, to be my source of peace. You are my source of peace. You are the one who gives me um, this rest. Not in the circumstances and not in my kids. And so on another Wednesday, I went to Costco with our kids. And all three kids were in my cart. And they started fighting. (laughs) They started fighting over, I think we were in the cereal section this is, this is so long ago. I still remember it. They were fighting over cereal. And I prayed. I said, God, this is it. <laughs> and I engaged the kids. No conflict. I just suddenly had these words of patience and peacemaking and a lot of grace but firmness. And the kids just responded really well. And they were calm and they were quiet. And they just returned back to playing with each other. Afterwards, an old white-haired gentleman came up and said to me, Son, I just want to let you know that I overheard everything you said, and you did a great job. We need more dads like you who would speak to their kids that way. And he walked away. And I turned and looked again, and he was gone. And I was thinking... An angel at Costco. But then I saw him waiting at a line at the register. God was teaching me more about the idols in my life. So let's close. What are the ways for us to respond? And what I want to do, as as I mentioned earlier, for us to confess our, our idols for us to be satisfied in God. But 
If we could go to slide 17, the last one. Instead of me asking you guys, hey, what are the unmet needs? Um, In a lot of ways, those are hard. So I'm going to actually work backwards. So here's what I want to ask you. Who are you punishing right now? Okay, so we're, we're going to work backwards because I think that, that, that question is much more clear and we could give a very clear answer. Who are the people we're punishing right now? Who are the people that you are purposely ignoring, withdrawing from, you're not returning their calls, you're saying bad things about them, you are, you're judging them? Who are the people that you're punishing right now? And if you have that person's name or that face, from there, now I want you to go backwards. What is it that they're doing or not doing that is keeping you from an unmet need or unmet desire? What is it that they're doing? For some of us, it could be that they, you feel like they ruined your reputation. And so you have this need to have your reputation made right. For some of you, it is something that they did or said, and you just have a hard time forgiving. And you have an unmet need of of being apologized to. And then number three, let God satisfy those wants. Instead of saying that person has to make it right, until then, I'm not going to be at peace, instead of letting that person do it, for you to turn to God and say, God, you're the one who can teach me how to receive forgiveness. You're the one who can teach me how to be good with, with what I have in Christ. He wants to fulfill those needs. And so if you say to yourself, I demand righteousness, I demand justice. Let Jesus be your justice. Let Jesus be your righteousness. This person robbed me of my reputation. My name is ruined. Let Jesus give you your name. Let Jesus declare you blameless. Let him be your reputation. No, I lost my future. Let Jesus be your future. I'm lonely. I'm ashamed. Let Jesus be your friend now and forevermore. He is the one who gives you your approval. I need love. This person took away love from my life. Let Jesus be the one who gives love. In other words, let let him satisfy your heart. At this time, I'd like to ask if we could uh, close our eyes and and actually if we could stand together. Um, Our brother uh, will be leading us in a time of worship. But if we could stand, and I'd like to ask if we could close our eyes And I'd like to ask for us, again, where have been the the conflicts in our lives? Where is there even currently or ongoing conflict? And what are the unmet needs that we had been fighting for and we have been just up in arms for? And instead of turning to a person or to a conflict to find those things. Can we turn to God first? And can we say, God, these are unmet needs 
and they had turned into de- demands and and I've been judging people by these things but now I realize that I should come to you you're the one who fulfills these desires these needs that I have and if we could take some time to let God meet those needs and satisfy those needs and so with this father we want to take time to respond as James said for us to draw near to you knowing that you will draw near to us and with that father we come with these needs that we've had in our hearts and we ask that your son would fill these needs that your son would be the one who would bring an end to this conflict not with just other people but within our own souls within our own hearts so we ask that you would continue to speak into our hearts uh, throughout tonight um, throughout the rest of this retreat continue to speak into our hearts about relationships about conflicts that we have those around us so we continue to pray we continue to wait we continue to um, take time to hear from you to let you speak into our hearts let's continue praying and then um, after a moment we'll um, close with uh, just some time of, of worship but let's continue uh, to pray through these questions